0: Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jar Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Back in April, Annie talked with Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, about the appalling health conditions for truck drivers across the country, fueled by the extreme pressure of unrealistic delivery deadlines. The last month has seen a horrific number of people killed in truck crashes. I talked with Michael Kane again about the urgent need for reform in the trucking industry and what it will take to get there. But first, some union news. <laughs> There has been much debate over the last week about the legality of mandating vaccination in workplaces. Professor Du Cheung Tam from the Melbourne Law School at the University of Melbourne explained the current situation in an article for The Conversation. Australia's official policy on vaccines is that they be voluntary and free, but the federal government hasn't shut the door completely on employers pursuing mandatory policies of their own. Earlier this month, the federal government reiterated it won't use its powers to give employers a free hand to mandate vaccines. Yet Prime Minister Scott Morrison also said decisions to require COVID-19 vaccinations for employees will be a matter for individual businesses, taking into account their particular circumstances and obligations under safety, anti-discrimination and privacy laws. So far, just two Australian companies, Regional Air Carrier Alliance Airlines and canning company SPC, have declared they will make a COVID-19 vaccination mandatory for their workers. The reason so few have declared such intentions is because the law isn't on the employer's side. There are only limited circumstances where workplace vaccine mandates are likely to be found lawful. Safe Work Australia and the Fair Work Ombudsman have both made it clear that most employers can't make you get a vaccine. Safe Work Australia's guidance says most employers will not need to make vaccination mandatory to meet their workplace health and safety obligations. The exceptions are when public health directions require them to do so. Examples are the New South Wales Health Order requiring specified classes of quarantine facility transport and airport workers to have had at least one vaccine shot, and the Queensland Order that health service employees in residential aged care be fully vaccinated by October 31. The Fair Work Ombudsman says an employer needs to have a compelling reason before requiring vaccination of workers. Two conditions stand out. One, employees must interact with people with an elevated risk of being infected with coronavirus, for example if they work in hotel quarantine or border control. Or two, employees must have close contact with people who are most vulnerable to the health impacts catching COVID, for example if they work in aged care. This second condition aligns with rulings in unfair dismissal cases involving employees refusing influenza vaccinations. In three such cases this year, the Fair Work Commission said it was reasonable for employers in the aged care and childcare sectors to insist on vaccination as a condition of employment. But overall, the Fair Work Ombudsman said, In the current circumstances, the overwhelming majority of employers should assume that they can't require their employees to be vaccinated against coronavirus. This legal context could, of course, be changed by the Federal Parliament amending the Fair Work Act to expressly authorise employer mandates. Given the composition of the Senate, this might prove impossible to achieve, but even if it were possible, there are good reasons to oppose it, even while acknowledging the clear public health benefit of COVID-19 vaccinations. Any decision to limit fundamental rights is best done through accountable public institutions rather than private entities motivated by commercial considerations. Public health orders give the community confidence that such decisions have been informed by expert advice and that different stakeholders have had a chance to be heard. Unions and employer groups largely agree that in the limited situations where there are workplace vaccine mandates, they should be backed by public health orders. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus says any mandate has to be based on the advice of health professionals, not just made up by employers, and workers must be consulted along with their union. Consultation does not appear to have been a feature of the announcements by Alliance Airlines or SPC, whose workers reportedly learnt of the company's decision through the media. Other companies may be waiting to see the upshot, whether those policies lead to changes either through the Fair Work Commission, which arbitrates unfair dismissal claims, or through federal courts for breach of workplace laws. <coughs> Last week, GreenLeft Weekly reported on the High Court's decision to overturn the WorkPAC versus Rosato decision on August 4th. Last year, the Federal Court ruled that Rosato, who was employed by WorkPAC under six consecutive contracts, was not a casual worker under the Fair Work Act because he was given regular shifts with firm advance commitment. The decision meant that Rosato should have been classified as a permanent worker and be entitled to annual leave and sick pay. Significantly, it also showed that employers cannot use casual loadings to offset these conditions. The Federal Court decision represented a threat to employers who have a material interest in the workforce being casualized. It also gave hope to workers employed in insecure casual work, as well as those on short-term contracts employed in the same job over a long period of time. Unsurprisingly, Big Business criticised the initial decision and claimed it would open businesses up to $39 billion in claims. Retail and Fast Food Workers Union Secretary Josh Cullinan said the High Court decision reaffirms the master-servant relationship of centuries old. It shackles workers desperate for employment to provide for their families to nonsensical constructs created by highly paid lawyers. The Australian Council for Trade Unions, ACTU Secretary Sally McManus, said on August 4 that the decision is yet another blow for hard-working Australians. Workers across the country are struggling with no paid leave entitlements, no confidence about where their next shift is coming from, and no job security. Insecure work is rampant across Australia, with the devastation to communities being starkly revealed by the COVID-19 pandemic. A report by the Australia Institute last December revealed that casual workers lost their jobs eight times faster than those in permanent jobs. It also found that the majority of new jobs created since the pandemic began earlier last year have been insecure. Insecure workers are bearing the brunt of COVID-19, with many essential jobs being low-paid and highly casualised. A majority of cases in the current outbreak in New South Wales are spreading through such casualised workplaces. McManus said, COVID has shown us that casualisation is a weakness for our country, with one in three workers stranded with no sick leave. This is a health hazard for the community. The ACTU said Prime Minister Scott Morrison must crack down on casualisation and end the exploitation of workers on permanent casual employment. You're listening to Stick Together. Oh, it's the best. The New Daily reported last week that union leaders have accused the Morrison government of ignoring advice from the Aged Care Royal Commission after a damning new report found 110,000 direct aged care workers are needed by 2030 to meet basic care needs. Health Services Union Secretary Gerard Hayes said the government was already failing to live up to promises to fix long-standing staff shortages, despite the Royal Commission outlining it as an urgent priority. The lessons that have come out of the Aged Care Royal Commission are falling on deaf ears, he said. The government has to be held to account. The Committee for Economic Development of Australia, CEDA, warned on Tuesday that ageing Australians will experience care standards closer to those seen in emerging economies under current funding plans. In a new report titled Duty of Care, CEDA Chief Economist Jared Ball said pay rises and better working conditions for staff were urgently needed. He said the $17.7 billion funding package for aged care announced in the Federal Budget in response to the Royal Commission was insufficient to ensure Australians aged with dignity. If we don't make some moves in the next decade, we will probably struggle to maintain OECD average care standards. These costs are felt in the health system. We'll have more older people in hospitals and we'll also have greater stress on informal carers. Mr Hayes said the latest funding boost is $5 billion short of what is needed over the next three years. We need to be preparing for the ageing population now, he said. This is your parents and it is going to be you. By 2031, about 20% of Australia's population will be aged over 65 and at least 17,000 direct care workers must be added yearly until then, the CEDA report concluded. That is the bare minimum to avoid shortages creating more aged care horror stories, which the Royal Commission linked to a lack of workers. But Mr Hayes and Mr Ball said the industry is currently losing workers as a result of low wages and strained working conditions. You do see a large number of people leaving the sector, Mr Ball said. We have to replace those people and add more. Without further action, Australia's care standards will languish below three-star care levels by 2030 with fewer than 400,000 direct care staff. As things stand, 34% of older Australians already report that their care needs are not fully met, according to the Productivity Commission. To encourage more people to become carers, workers must be paid more, given better working conditions and granted training incentives, Mr Ball said. Award wages for personal care workers with similar skills are 25 to 30% lower in aged care than in disability care, The Economist explained. It's just not tenable, he said. The workforce gap will be near impossible to fill without higher wages. The HSU has lodged a case in the Fair Work Commission which sets minimum award rates, pushing for a 25% pay rise. The Commission, however, has since called on the Morrison government to state whether it is prepared to fund a wage increase for the sector. It comes after the Royal Commission also identified low pay as a key issue facing the industry. The Royal Commission concluded that the retention, attraction and training of staff would be crucial to lifting care standards as Australia ages. But key recommendations, including advice that workers should all have Certificate III qualifications to undertake personal care, were not heeded. Mr Bowles said the government should revisit that advice and go further by offering to reimburse workers for their training expenses after they spend two years working in the sector. CEDA also recommended the government develop new dedicated pathways for migrants to join the aged care workforce, saying overseas care staff will be necessary to help address shortages. When asked about the recommendations, Mr Colbeck said the National Skills Commission was preparing a report on the aged care workforce that would examine how to deal with skill shortages through to 2050. The final report of this study will inform the development of the government's care workforce strategy, a commitment made in response to the Royal Commission's final report, Mr Kolbeck said. The government will continue to consider migration options as a means to help grow the care workforce. The International Transport Workers' Federation is calling on the Australian Government to urgently implement a nationally consistent best practice plan for crew changes on international trading vessels following the preventable death of a seafarer during a high-risk transfer off Queensland's Sunshine Coast last week. The man died after reportedly falling from a ladder being used to transfer seafarers between the Liberian-flagged bulk carrier Formosa Bulk Cement and a small vessel. As the incident occurred in Australian territorial waters, approximately five nautical miles off Mooloolaba, the vessel has been detained by the Australian Maritime Safety Authority to allow an investigation into the death to occur. The International Transport Workers Federation said the lack of a nationally consistent policy on international seafarer crew changes, along with restrictive state-based health orders, appeared to be the reason the high-risk offshore transfer was undertaken rather than occurring in port. Currently, Queensland is one of the only states in Australia facilitating crew changes on international vessels, which in many cases have seafarers that have been effectively trapped on board for more than a year due to the COVID crisis. ITF Australia coordinator Ian Bray said the foremost bulk cement was reportedly sailing to a New South Wales port, where a crew change could have safely occurred at the berth. But because of that state's restrictive health orders, it appears the vessel operator instead decided to replace the crew while sailing down the Queensland coast. After spending the last year at sea, this seafarer was looking forward to finally returning home to his family. But instead, they have received the tragic news that he died during the crew change. Our deepest sympathies are with his family, friends and fellow crew members. It is essential that the Australian government learn from this completely preventable death and take the urgent steps needed to address the crew change crisis that caused it. Australia is failing to live up to its legal obligations as a signatory to the Maritime Labor Convention, which outlines the nation's responsibility to the health and welfare of the seafarers that keep the nation's supply chains moving. State and federal governments are complicit in any fatalities that occur because crew changes are being undertaken in an unsafe manner due to their prescribed health orders. The Australian government needs to urgently address this issue, working with state and territory governments to put in place a nationally consistent best practice crew change policy that allows the safe transfer of crew members while vessels are in port. The current situation is seeing risky offshore transfers take place, while some vessels are diverting to Queensland ports because it is the only Australian state with a comprehensive approach to crew changes. According to the Australian Education Union, critical industries like childcare, information and communications technology, carpentry and plumbing are at risk of significant workforce shortages, which would undermine the strength of Australia's COVID-19 economic recovery. Investment in TAFE would help ensure a sustainable supply of highly trained workers and support people to gain the skills they require to get good jobs, Australian Education Union Deputy Federal President Meredith Pearce said. TAFE has suffered over $3 billion in federal government funding cuts since 2013. Instead of adequate TAFE investment, the Federal Coalition has used taxpayers' funds for poor quality private training colleges and the failing job network. TAFE is the centre of our vocational education system. Public TAFE institutions are ideally placed to train the workforces our nation needs to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. The Federal Government's Skills Priority List shows 153 professions with current workforce shortages and projects an additional 144 will experience moderate to strong levels of future demand by 2025. Analysis of federal government's labour market information portal shows a shortage of more than 207,600 workers in the next five years in critical industries including childcare, aged and disability care, hospitality, carpentry, plumbing and information and communications technology. In order to ensure these industries have the highly trained workforce they require to function effectively, Australia requires a properly funded TAFE system, Ms Pierce said. August 11th marked National TAFE Day and the AEU is inviting the community to support the rebuild with TAFE campaign and sign an open letter to the Prime Minister calling for a guaranteed minimum of 70% of total government funding for the public TAFE system. Without proper investment in TAFE, the federal government will fail to provide the education and training workers need to get real jobs. They will also fail to ensure critical industries have the highly skilled workforces they need to deliver the services we all rely on. Go to www.rebuildwithtaife.org.au to take action.
1: You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News broadcast around the country every week on the community radio network.
0: Overall, there have been 97 deaths from truck crashes so far in 2021, with 27 truck drivers killed. Trucking is the most common job for men in Australia, with 1 in 33 men working in the industry. It is also the deadliest industry, with pressures of underpayments, fatigue, speeding and overloaded trucks linked to the low-cost contracts demanded by wealthy retailers, manufacturers and oil companies at the top of the supply chain. I spoke with TWU National Secretary Michael Kane about this current crisis and what can be done to stop so many deaths.
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, even with... Um less of the general public being on our roads because of the COVID crisis. We've seen um, an even further tragic escalation of people losing their lives in truck crashes. We've had 18 people um, in the last three weeks, including five truck drivers um, that uh, have been killed in truck crashes. And, of course, what that means is that 13 of those um, are people who are not involved in um, professional road transport work at all they're the general public they're our families you know they're our sons and daughters and mothers and fathers Um, and you know nothing nothing uh can be worse and many uh, listeners um will tragically have experienced this of losing someone so suddenly um just ripped away Uh, and and what's what makes that even worse if it can be worse is that um we think, and there's evidence to support us here, that um, many of these incidents are preventable because what we have is we have an industry under incredible pressure. Um, and um, the companies that engage truck drivers are under incredible commercial pressure. And what that means mm. is that um, those drivers are really um, being put in a position of having to work too long uh, or to meet unrealistic deadlines. Some of them who own their own trucks having to cut corners on maintenance um, simply to make a living for themselves and their families. And that's turning out quite literally to be a deadly recipe for our community. And it, it is an ongoing crisis.
0: Yeah. So you've called for reform. There used to be a regulatory body five years ago. Do you think that's what needs to happen so that the pressure isn't so great?
1: We think it's absolutely necessary. Um, the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal was just on the cusp of putting in place five orders that operated over different sectors of the transport economy. Um, mm. And those orders were really targeted at trying to lift the pressures, the commercial pressures that are on the industry. Um, so those are the very top of transport supply chains the The retailers, the stevedores, the manufacturers, they're the ones that are reaping the economic benefits from the industry. They're the ones that need the transport task done and they engage transport operators to perform that task but they squeeze those contracts so hard uh, that they are barely viable and sometimes they're well below commercially viable rates and conditions. And that means, of course, that those companies have to find a way to, to get by. Um, on such tight margins and unfortunately with labour component being high in, in any aspect of road transport that's what they do they squeeze labour and when they squeeze labour we see these consequences. So in 2016 just before these five really important orders were to come into place um, we had the Turnbull government uh, led by uh, Senator Cash um, launching a political campaign against it and succeeding. Uh, in having the tribunal abolished that was bad enough but they've put nothing in its place so they ran this political case which got rid of the tribunal and it was as if getting rid of the tribunal was going to make things better But, of course, it hasn't. And five years down the track, we're in a position where people are still dying. And we need to address these pressures because they're the root cause of the consequences that we see on our road, including these crashes. So, yes, we need regulatory reform. We need it urgently. We need it on a national basis. And that regulatory reform has to be focused uh, at making those that are reaping the economic benefit accountable so that they pay enough in this industry that the work can be done safely.
0: But don't you think this is just part of the capitalist system that it seems to be quite common, not just in, in this industry, but other industries, that it's like a race to the bottom with uh, trying to, you know, get contracts and then the workers just stand up being the ones who are <laughs> paying for it? Uh, it certainly
1: is. certainly is a her- a horrifically um, the case that um, workers bear the burden Um, Of our system. And that's why, when you can see such a clear case of that occurring, uh, where people are actually losing their lives as a consequence, then the community should request of its politicians uh, to intervene. That's what the political system is all about. Uh, It's about keeping people safe, it's about making sure that there's fairness. And politicians exist to make laws, to make regulation, to ensure that that happens. And at the moment, they are missing in action. The federal government. His responsibility is to take care of the community and to legislate to put protections in place, We're missing in action. And yeah. while they're missing in action, people are dying.
0: Obviously, COVID's just um, taking up so much of the space in the media and people's headspace right now. Do you think that makes it hard for other issues like this crisis and the crisis, for example, in the aged care system?
1: Yeah, no, you're quite right in what you say. It is. It is... The cover of COVID, Uh, we just uh, had the federal court rule that Qantas acted illegally in outsourcing two and a half thousand workers Mm. under the cover of COVID, using COVID as an excuse, as an opportunity to push workers from secure work into insecure work. And what we're seeing is the same dynamic in road transport. We've got very major transport companies, many of whom up until this time have been working productively with unions and workers um, for a stable industry but are now using the cover of COVID to push uh, work from secure arrangements into insecure arrangements and they're doing that because of the pressures that I've spoken about pressures from those that are reaping the economic benefits and and then saying well workers shouldn't stand up and pursue their rights Uh, because we're in the middle of a COVID crisis.
0: Yeah, you've got some workers that are going through the process to take industrial action. Where is that at?
1: Yeah, well, we're in a a round of bargaining at the moment um, with our major transport operators. And, yes, what we're seeing is that those operators this time around are are taking the opportunity, uh, much like Qantas did, to attempt to uh, push work away from good um, arrangements good terms and conditions secure arrangements to insecure arrangements and, and then of course when uh, those workers start to exercise their rights ballot for the right to take industrial action and then potentially take industrial action they say to the community how outrageous mm. uh, that workers are standing up for their rights during the COVID crisis Transport workers, of course, have been the backbone. They are always the backbone of our Australian economy, such a massive continent. We've got to get our goods from A to B and right across our huge uh, geography. But it's been no more the case that we've been the backbone of the economy um, than during COVID, whether it's food delivery riders or whether it's people um, delivering into supermarkets. What it does, though, all of this um, push towards insecurity is it keeps making very clear the case for regulatory protections and amendment of our laws Um, what we have now is uh, companies and entities um, pushing workers outside of the system of protection that we've built up for so many years and we have a responsibility as a community to reform that system to make sure that they are within that system not not to be unfair not to crimp innovation not none of that stuff Um, but just to make sure that people are within the system and they can't be artificially placed outside of it. That's the fight that we're all facing across um, many of our industries. Um, And it's no different uh, in road transport uh, where you have um, uh, the reason that these workers are on the cusp of taking strike action is that they should, once they strike a deal with a company, have certainty that that deal um, is going to be in place and that they're going to have job security with that company. These workers are expressing that concern right now and so they should and they should be proud to do it. It's our basic human right to take industrial action to make sure that companies understand um, what it is that we're saying and the Amen. community understands that.
0: That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to TWU National Secretary Michael Kane for taking the time to speak with us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.